God's Word. Oh, echo. If you have a way to see God's Word this morning, turn to Exodus or look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Well, uh, I, I hope many of you are still with us as it relates to experiencing God. We're in week eight, and we're talking about adjustments. So from the crisis of belief, many of you know the terminology I'm using. If you're in the Bible study, uh, you know what I'm talking about, that crisis of belief. Every crisis of belief that we go through requires adjustments, whether it's adjustment of belief, whether it's adjustment of how you view God, how you view yourself, how you view the circumstance you're in, whatever it is, it always requires some type of adjustment. And we're going to talk about that this morning, but look at the introduction there on your, on your outline. This is uh, from the book itself, Experiencing God. A crisis of belief is not calamity but a turning point where you must make a decision. It is a situation that forces you to decide what you truly believe about God. The way you respond at this turning point will determine whether you will become involved with God in something God-sized that only He can do, or whether you will continue to go on your, way, your own way and miss what He's purposed your life to be. And so when you begin to think about what God is doing in your life, I think many of us would say that he is obviously up to something because calamity or something I may see as calamity does visit my life at times. There are times where I have a crisis of belief. The thing that we can take from that is that God is up to something because he's allowed it in your life. So as a way to review up to this point, I want you to think of this, experiencing God. Here's what we know. God is always at work around us. He's always there. He's always up to something. Next, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. He's preparing you or equipping you for something he's called you to do. And then thirdly, he invites you to become involved with him in his work. Fourthly, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, his word, prayer, and circumstances to reveal his purposes and his ways to you. And then fifthly, God's invitation many times leads you, just as where we were last week, to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action to proceed. Now think about that. Faith is required when we face a crisis of belief. And that's not a bad thing. I think so many times we think, oh my goodness, when faith's involved, that means i got to trust God for something that may be difficult. Well, that's, it shouldn't be a difficulty. We should know him. We should know him in a way that is personal to know that he is going to work on our, for our good. And then today, we're looking at this whole idea. You must make major adjustments many times in your life to join God in what he's up to. And so really the question this morning is not just necessarily the question we had last week. What in your life has led you to a crisis of belief? But today, what adjustments are needed in your life to continue to pursue God in your life? Now, before we go any further, let me give you a definition of adjustment. It is a process. Now think of that. A process of modifying, adapting, or altering something in your life. Think about that. It's a process. I think so many times we think that all of a sudden I, I, something's just going to happen. No, for most of us, it's a process God is working out in our lives. From the crisis of belief to the adjustment itself, there's a process. Everywhere I look in God's Word, whether you're talking about the life of Abraham, the life of Moses, whomever's life you're looking at, you tend to see that God is working a process, a plan out in a person's life. And we are, we are, we are no different than that. Some of you may say, well, you know, God hasn't led me to leave my, my, my hometown to go to a place I do not know, or, or God has not called me to leave the Israelites. Well, guess what? We have things in our lives that he's up to also. They don't have to be these huge called out moments. Sometimes they're just getting through the daily things that we struggle with. But there's always a plan that God's up to, to help you adapt your life, adjust your life, to fine-tune your life in the life that he desires you to have. So let's review from where we were last week. This is part two of this message. So how to overcome your crisis of belief. This is what we saw last week. Realize God knows where you are. He always knows where you are. You don't, he's not caught off guard. 
the report, you know, we talked about this last week, the report you may have received about your health. He, he, he's not caught off by, by that. For, for some of you who are sitting here today, that relationship that, that's very difficult right now, he's not caught off guard by that. He knows exactly where you are. And the thing that we need to understand is this. If we are a child of God, we are in his keeping, we are in his appointed time, and we're also under his training because he's doing something in and through us. Secondly, how do we ever come across as a belief? Not only realize God knows where you are, but focus more on God's glory than your deliverance. Like we saw last week, so many times we're, we're basically, how do I get out of this as soon as I possibly can? This crisis of belief, this thing that has shaken my world, how can I move on as quickly as possible? But guess what? Sometimes we've been called, and, and, and really when you think about it, our lives are here to glorify God. He's the one that brought salvation to our lives. He's the one that initiated the love relationship he has with us. He's the one who will be our deliverer in the end. And through our lives, he desires to, to receive glory through our lives. So the thing that we need to understand is we're going to see with the Israelites, because we're looking at the Israelites. They're leaving Egypt. They're there at the Red Sea. That's the scene that we're looking at this morning. The thing we got to understand is just as God directed them to the coast of the Red Sea, God is orchestrating the events in your life. And we are there, and we see, just as they, the crisis of belief. We can see the adjustments that may be necessary. Next, how to overcome your crisis of belief. As we saw last week, evaluate the source of your crisis of belief. Where, where's your crisis coming from? The one place, look on your outline, is your enemy. Your enemy may be where your crisis is coming from. Last week, we saw that our enemy is kind of surprising to some of us. First of all, the world can act as an enemy. It's working against many things that God is pursuing in our lives. We know that the world, the, the philosophies of the world can be working against us. Secondly, our own flesh, according to Romans, is working against us. It, our own flesh, the, 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 the thing, think about it. There's a part of us that is at odds with us. Now, that sounds strange, doesn't it? And if you go to a psychologist and start the conversation that way, they may have you committed at that point. I don't, but the point is, we do. We have that nature. The Bible says it wars against us. And then also the enemy himself. In the case of the Israelites leaving Egypt, the enemy will be Pharaoh. And many people would say that Pharaoh represents the enemy himself, Satan, as it relates to how we can see our, ourselves in the story, especially those who follow Christ. But the thing that we note about the Israelites is we see, as they're there at the coast of the Red Sea, we see this mighty army that Pharaoh is leading or, or has sent out, and we see that he's closing in where they are. And many of you this morning, maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like, well, my crisis of belief is definitely enemy driven because I feel like things are closing in and they were in that same situation. Next, not only evaluate the source of your crisis of belief, it's not only your enemy, but also your emotions. We saw this last week and in the case here, we see that the Israelites are caught up in great fear. Look at Chapter uh, 14, verse 10, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So what was their reaction? It says, so they were very afraid. Some of your translations probably say terrified. They were terrified. Their, their emotions were taking over. Their fears are now being realized. And, and we know from the text that their fear were turned to doubt. Their doubts in Moses' leadership, their doubts in why they would even follow Moses, their doubts in even who God is and how God is, has betrayed them in some way. And it leads, and what we're seeing is a seedbed of a rebellious spirit that has risen up in them. So many times, our fears and our anxieties, here's what we need to understand about those things. They keep us in bondage. They keep us from moving forward. They keep us from making the adjustments that God wants us to make in our lives to become more in tune to the things that he desires for us. Next, how to overcome your crisis of belief. Fix your focus on God and pray. In the second part of verse 10, it says, and the children of Israel, they realized Pharaoh's army was closing in. What does it say? It says they cried out to the Lord. 
Many times our crisis of belief brings desperation to our lives. And y'all, I don't know about you, but sometimes desperation can lead us to the right places. How many of you have noticed that in life? Sometimes you have to come to the end of yourself before you realize what God is up to. Sometimes you got to come to the end of yourself before you're willing to cash that in for what God has for you. And that's what we're seeing here seem to be playing out. They focus on God now, and they're praying out and crying out to him. And then next, how to overcome a crisis of belief. Trust God to work through your crisis of belief. Look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. What was he saying? He's basically saying, don't let this moment, this circumstance, lead you down a path of fear that will turn to doubt, that could possibly turn to a rebellious spirit. Don't let that happen right now. And then he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will accomplish for you today. He's going to accomplish something great. Watch God work through your life today. And then he says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. God's going to handle your fear. God's going to handle the enemy. For the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And then this is where we pick up today. Look on your outline. How to overcome your crisis of belief. Move forward in faith through your crisis of belief. You got to move forward. You got to take the next step. And it does require adjustments. It, it requires adaptation. It requires maybe a difference in how you believe about what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself. So many times God many times will bring us to this point, just like he did with the nation of Israel. And so when we move forward in faith through our crisis, here's what we need to understand. God still leads while God leads. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Now think of this. Sometimes the adjustments necessary in life is to just move forward. And sometimes it's a physical move for them. What are, what are they having to do? He's saying, he say, move forward. Move towards the sea. Now, we're going to see this in just a little while, but how many of you that makes great sense? <laughs> move towards the sea. Okay? And, and the thing is, they're there, but God is saying, move, go, move like I've told you to move. And do you know what it takes? It requires a step of obedience as our faith begins to grow. That's what you see. In verse 16, he says, but lift up your rod, Moses, and stretch out your hand and the sea and divide it. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but Moses had to be in tune to what God was up to because I would be sitting there and say, what? Do, do what again? And, and, and he's very clear. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Many times God leads us into battle. And then there are times he says, just sit back and watch what I'm about to do. How many of you ever noticed that? You, you know what? I, I found that he's better at fixing my problems than I am. How many of you have noticed that? He's better at overcoming my fears than I am. And if I'll just lean on him and let him do what he's going to do and, and trust him with what he's going to do, he'll do great things. And sometimes it's just a matter of just sitting back and watching. But many times, what do we learn and we're experiencing God? He invites us into the process. And therefore, we have to make adjustments. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six. 6, many of you know this by heart, but it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know what that literally means? You're going nowhere with God unless you're living by faith. You won't have salvation unless you have faith. You won't see God lead you in the path that he desires for you unless you have faith. You'll never go through your crisis of belief. You'll stay in your crisis if you don't have faith. Everything about this life requires faith. And then he says this in the same verse, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do. That's what it's saying here. You believe him in who he is and that he is a rewarder of, the, rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not just have heartily seek him, but what? They diligently seek him. How many of you cry out to God when things get desperate? You see, isn't it sad that we have to come to that point before we're willing to acknowledge God sometimes? 
Isn't that amazing how that works? But what he's saying, he's talking about diligently, earnestly, crying out to God, God, what next? How are we going to move forward? What does it look like? What do you desire? Opening yourself up to what God does because he is the one leading and directing and orchestrating our lives. Next, we move forward in faith through the crisis of belief, even when you don't understand. How many of you have sensed there's been times where God's asked you to do something and you have no clue about what that means or you don't understand any of that at this moment? I've been there. I, you know my testimony. You know my story. God was basically raising me up to be a pastor one day. Scared to get up in front of people. A little nervous even right now. I mean, I, I, I've never gotten over that. <laughs> but what's amazing about it is he, he, he said, here's, here's what I want you to do. He, he laid it out for me. Crisis of belief. Uh-uh. That's really how I answered it. Okay? And all of a sudden, the adjustments needed to come about in my life. And I had to overcome my fears. I had to overcome my doubts. I, I had to literally, it literally brought me to times of desperation in what God was calling me to do in my own personal life. And it's not just the callings that, that we have the desperation. Sometimes it's just walking in obedience that brings desperation. We talked about this last week. And many of you responded to this about the hurt that's in your life. For some of you, the crisis of belief has been the hurt that's come to your life. And for many of you, you you're not moving through your crisis of belief through that hurt. You're staying in it. And it continues to pound on you day in and day out. And from that crisis of belief, you have the fears, you have the resentment, you have all the doubts. It becomes doubt. And before you know it, it becomes a rebellious spirit. And you stay right there in it when the only way out is through adapting your life, altering your life. What does that look like? To literally walk in truth, walk in obedience to him. To say, I know this is not where God wants me to be. To say, I know that there's a process that God wants to work out in my life. That he can deliver me from this resentment, this bitterness that I'm carrying. You see, so many times we think the crisis of belief and this whole story that's laid out and experienced in God is about the giant things he wants to do. And sometimes it is. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I have harder things with just those small details in my life that are keeping me from the very best God has for me. And you're, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Maybe you're there now. But the fact is, sometimes God says move forward when we don't understand. And, and, and that's what we're seeing in the story. Look at verse 17. God says, I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they, the army, shall follow them. The thing that we need to understand about this story is I said it several times, and you got to get it through your, you got to understand what you're going through through the lens I'm telling you about. God was orchestrating everything that they had gone through up to this point. Who led them to the edge of the Red Sea? Who, who led them to that point where, where it's either the sea or, or fall to the enemy's hands? It was God orchestrating it all. And, so, and what does he say he's going to do? Look at verse 17, second part. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh. And over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. He's basically saying, I'm going to overcome this mighty army. I'm going to overcome the enemy. But you have a part in this. Verse 18. Then the Egyptians from all this shall know that I am the Lord. Literally, through the nation of Israel, through them gathered to that sea, for them looking back and their fear and their doubt and even their rebellious spirit. You remember they cried out to Moses and say, did you bring us here to die? They look back, but yet the thing that we need to understand is this. Even the Egyptians, listen, on this day that is there, they are the ones watching. And even they will see the greatness of God. How many of you have people that look into your life, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe wh wherever it is, and they look at you, and maybe they're watching you go through this crisis of belief in your, in your life, and they're seeing you make the adjustments, and they're sitting there, and how many of them can look in their life and, and look at your life and be sitting there saying, how are they dealing with this? How in the world are they going through this the way they're going through it? 
They're doing it with such dignity and grace. It's amazing. Listen, God's allowed me to meet some amazing people in my life as a minister and a pastor. And I've been able to look up close in some of their situations, very close. And I sit there amazed at what God is doing in their life. How many people look at your life and say, I'm amazed at what God is doing in your life. On this day, the Egyptians are going to look and stand amazed at what God is doing on the behalf of the Israelites. But what about our story? There are times when each step in life is a step of faith. And for some of us, the big picture is not on display. How many of you would like for God to always give you the big picture when he works in your life? Wouldn't you like that? I would. I'd like to have a clear understanding as to why I got to go through this. I remember many years ago, I came upon, came upon a desperation in my life, and I was in my early 20s, and Tina and I were having a hard time, and, and we were really struggling. I mean, it really became a point of desperation, and I remember crying out to God and, and just saying, God, I need direction. I need guidance. You said those who asked that you'll answer, and, and I'm here in my desperation, and God answered that night. I, I, I got up from my knees, and it was the most powerful, one of the most powerful moments of my whole life. And I got up, and God gave me direction right there in that moment. I remember going to where Tina was. We, we weren't really on speaking terms at the time. She allowed me to talk to her. But anyway, I went in, and I was just so excited. I went from desperation to be excited about the possibilities of what God wants to do in our lives. And I went in there, and I started sharing some things that I thought God was leading us. But you know something? He never gave me the complete big picture. Even at that moment, he never told me or showed me that I would be in the ministry one day as a pastor standing in front of people. Because at that moment, I'm just going to be honest with you, in my desperation, I didn't need more desperation. <laughs> at that moment, I just needed the next step. The big picture would have terrified me. I'm just going to be honest with you. And the point is, he leads us many times. And how's the best way to live a life of faith? Step after step after step. Sometimes the big picture is not in play. For some of you, you're living your life right now. You're in crisis of belief. You're making adjustments or, or maybe you're afraid to make adjustments because you don't know where this is going to lead or how this is going to play out. You need to keep in mind, and this is sometimes tough, sometimes the big picture is in the next life, in the next life, and that can be very difficult. But what can we count on God for? That he's still going to be faithful. How do we know that? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us a lot. We all know Romans 8.28. Look at it here on the screen. We all know it. But, but here's what's interesting about us taking the next step. The, that, that verse begins with three words. And we know. You, you know what that could, could really say? And we have assurance. We have assurance, what? That God's going to do what he's going to do. But, but the point is, the way this verse reads... The reason it doesn't seem to work for a lot of people is because they don't know. This is implying that we have experiences with God. This, this verse implies that we know God. You, you see what I'm saying? And the word know there is from experiential knowledge, just not head knowledge. I've lived my life. I've lived a life of faith. I've lived in the trenches, and I know, this is what he knows about God, that all things, including our crisis of belief, including where our fear lies, including where the doubt comes from, including where the rebellious spirit can be there, can be. I know that all things, no matter what I'm facing, work together for good. You know what that literally means? For an intended outcome. That there's something God is up to. We may not understand it. It may terrify us, but he's up to something. And who's it for? To those who love God. Those who trust in him. Those who have responded to his love. And then it says to those who are called. And it's literally that idea that they see God working in their life. There's a calling placed on their life. Every time we hear the idea of calling, we think of a pastor or a missionary, whatever. We all have a calling on our lives. To honor him, to glorify him with our lives. To, to continue to let him to lead us. And it says what? We're called what? According to his purpose. The thing you need to understand when you're going through a crisis of belief to take the next steps of those adjustments, the thing that we must understand 
is that our crisis of belief has a purpose. There's a purpose to what we're up to, to what is going on in our lives. Even when we don't understand it, we need to know there's a purpose. Next, how to overcome your crisis of belief. Anticipate God's presence. Anticipate God's presence. Now, let me just say this. There are times, how many of you have been in what you think is a crisis of belief and you felt more alone than you've ever felt in your life? Let's just be honest. That can happen, right? Yeah, we can, we can be alone. We go, uh, and, and let me just say this. I think that's where when we're in a crisis of belief, we get hurt by so many different people. How many of you have noticed that when you're in a crisis of belief, sometimes if it's not the hurt that led you there, sometimes the hurt can, can come from there. And, and part of it is we have expectations of people to surround us and come around us. That, sometimes our expectations can be that. But, but here, you know what I found out about people in human nature? I found out there's a lot of people out there that want to be there for their friends and want to be there for their loved ones, but sometimes they just don't know how. They don't know how. There's some of you going through some very difficult things in your life, and, and you're kind of disappointed the way people have responded. And let me tell you why some of them don't respond. And I, I found this to be true because I've talked to many of them. They don't know how to respond. They don't know how. And, and, you, and you're like, well, all I need is a hug. All I need is just some show of support. Sometimes people just don't know how to do that. And I'm not saying that makes it okay. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we got to be careful with our crisis of belief because there's, there's a component that's working in it sometimes that we may miss. It, can, it has the potential to create greater hurt or the origination of hurt. Sometimes our crisis of belief, listen, is intended to just be something that me and God is going through. Sometimes it's just there. Where God is drawing us to where our full attention, attention should be on Him. To the point that, that, that other things may even be a distraction. That He wants our soul focused on Him. And what He's up to. And what He's trying to do in and through our lives. So be careful with that. That's just something we need to be careful with. But here's one thing that we can count on. I guarantee you through some phase, so through some part, because even as we see adjustments, it's a process we're going in. You will, can anticipate God's presence. Look at verse 19. And the angel of the Lord is mentioned what I've seen 15 times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, okay, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. Before the angel of the Lord, through the cloud, you remember the talk of the cloud? Is leading them. Now was it done? Moved around behind them. Now let me just say this. A lot of people believe, I'm one of those who believe this, that the angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That it's Jesus, the Son of God. That it's before he shows up in Bethlehem. His Old Testament ministry, I believe, is acting as the angel of the Lord in Scripture. I believe that. Now, not everybody agrees with me, but I, that's one thing I believe. And, and, and he himself is there at this moment. And the pillar went from before them, leading them, and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians, and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. There was a miracle going on here. The presence of, of God, the physical presence of God interceded at this moment. So what does that mean? The army of the Egyptians, it was in dark. There were no street lights back then. You get that, right? There wasn't anything out there. They were in darkness. But yet they, the Israelites, were in light. So this, if you really think about it, is a picture of Jesus. He gives light to those who trust him and to those who reject him utter darkness. That's why we got to understand the world in which we see out there and, and the Bible says that over and over again, is living in darkness. 
easily deceived. Easily deceived. Again, I hate to say this so many times, but how many of you are seeing it? Have you ever seen as much deception in our world as there is today? Never. I've done a lot of historical readings. I've never read of a society or a group of people or a certain time in history where we've been more deceived than we are now. It's everywhere. The Bible even says near the end times there will be strong delusion. We're living in it. We're living it. But that's what happens when we live in darkness. And it's also a picture of Jesus. He comforts the one. He confounds the other. He is savior to one, and he judges the other. He guards and guides his own. He shepherds and shields his own. He consoles our past, brings comfort to the present, and commands our future. That's a picture of this right here, which leads us to Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything or about anything. He's near. The army may be getting closer. The army may be right there on our doorstep. But he's still there. He's near. Next, how to overcome your crisis belief. Expect God to deliver you in his own way. Number one, by conquering your fears. He desires to do that. But you know what sometimes that requires? Us taking necessary steps. Sometimes there has to be obedience. Sometimes there's got to be that step of faith before we realize that God can, has the ability to conquer our fears. It requires us. So look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord calls the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Right hand and left hand, excuse me. Now, I want you to think about that. Would that still take great faith to walk between those two big old walls of water? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're sitting there, and I mean, it would take great strength to do that. But the point is, what, what we're seeing here is the only way their fears could be conquered, what did they have to do? Did they have to do anything? They had to move forward. They had to move forward. That was required. I think a lot of times we just expect God to do it all. God, you haven't provided anything for me today. Maybe you never got out of recliner. For those fortunate enough to have a recliner, or not, well, never mind. Sorry, kind of a bitter thing here. I get a couch, but I don't get a recliner. I know I'm not a real man in my house, but anyway, um, <clears throat> the recliner doesn't look good in the. Never mind. I'll, I'll move on. I'm dealing with my bitterness here, but anyway. <laughs> Expect God to deliver you in his own way while conquering your fears, but secondly, while destroying your foes. Verse 23, and the Egyptians pursued them and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Don't you love it when God goes after our enemies? <laughs> He troubled them. Now, we're still called to pray for him and love him, right? But he can put them in order, right? And sometimes it's not bad to pray for that too, right? All right, but anyway. And he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They were realizing, they were, listen, they were the underdogs. Isn't it amazing how God can take our enemies with all their might, with all their strength, with all their ability to strike fear on us and make them the underdog? And that's what he's doing here. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on the horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. 
So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians where? In the midst of the sea. The very thing that was causing them fear. What, what were two things causing them fear? The sea and the armies of the Egyptians were now no more. Isn't it amazing how sometimes our worst fear can lead to our greatest deliverance? That's what the sea represents. Our worst fears, where our doubt originates from, where our rebellious spirit can root. God is basically saying, take a step forward. And that very thing that's bringing you that fear can be something he'll use mightily in and through your life. And not only that, he destroys the enemy. Look at verse 28. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the, ar and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. God took care of the greatest, most mighty army in the world in that, at that time. He took care of it. God conquered the enemy. Next, expect God to deliver you in his own way while conquering your fears, while destroying your foes, but also while building your faith. How many of you, if you were an Israelite that day, your faith would have increased tremendously? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time, right? Look at verse 29. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. Now, now let me just say this. <clears throat> the thing that we need to understand is they made the adjustments. You see what I'm saying? They weren't paralyzed by their crisis of belief. They made the adjustments. They took the steps of faith necessary to see victory. You, you get that, right? They had a part in this. They took the steps of faith. And, and, and you could say, well, hold on a minute. Look how desperate their situation was. They didn't have a choice but to walk through those two big old walls of water. They would have been slaughtered over here. There was at least a way out. Now, here's what I need you to understand about our situations. Our situations are just as desperate. But sometimes we don't see it. If you're someone who's experienced hurt in your life, like we talked about last week, and, and, and you've stayed in that place of hurt, and it, it, it started as it, it come about maybe through fear, came to doubt, became a rebellious spirit in you, and you've been there for 20 years, or you have the potential to stay there the rest of your life, you're living in a very desperate place. You don't, may not realize it. You may be sitting there thinking, no, this is where I need to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. You may be able to defend your position. But there's several things you need to remember. You're still living in a rebellious place. You're still sitting there. You're not where God desires you to be. The problem with many of us is we don't, re we don't see the desperation that should be in our life. We see it as something, oh, well, but many of us, and by the way, the sin you're caught up in has created desperation in your life. Do you realize that? But you don't see it that way. You entertain it. You pet it. You embrace it. You don't see what it could lead to and the desperation it could bring to your life. They at least, there was desperation, but it still enabled them to move forward. So you may say, okay, where would the desperation come from my life? From the potential. Here it is. From the potential to stay on the path of your own right now. Because it could lead to tremendous desperation later. You got to see the desperation before it becomes desperation. That's how God wants to work in and through your life. And so it says, and the waters... And the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So faith is built. Listen to this. When we live his truth, when we experience the work of God, when we see him as he is, and when we trust him for what he says he'll do. So look at verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And the, Lord, and the people feared the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean they had this 
new fear. No, they respected the Lord. They had a new reason to, to, to look at him and say, wow, look at how awesome he is. That's really the terminology here. And believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Think about that. It's a pretty powerful moment. Lastly, how do you overcome your crisis of belief? Celebrate God's victory over your crisis of belief. It's amazing when we come to this place to worship corporately, the difference when we've seen God work in our life the week before and we can come in here and it be real worship, real worship. And you know something? You know when real worship is real worship to me? When I've seen him work in my life. When I've seen him do something no one else could do in my life. When I've seen him do something that just kind of blew my mind. That is when we truly worship him. So what does that mean? Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So here's what we need to understand. From their experience through the crisis of the belief, they made adjustments that brought them to a place of true worship and a sense of awe before God. Don't we all need a sense of awe before God? Don't we need that, to see that, to see that it's real? So therefore, what can we conclude? Those who live praiseworthy-oriented lives acknowledge God and his provisions, see him working in and through them, see him as a deliverer, realize most things in their lives are out of their control, but yet they have great faith and recognize defining moments in their lives. So I want to conclude with this. Your greatest defining moments in life will be full of victories over your crisis of belief. When you look back over your life and you're going to say, that was a spiritual marker in my life. That was a defining moment in my life. I guarantee you it's associated with some sort of crisis of belief that you had in your life. You took the steps of obedience. You took the steps of, of faith. And God overcame those things. So overcoming a crisis of belief requires moving or making adjustments from do what moments through the what if moments to defining moments. That's what he wants to do. So look at the application. Have you ever faced a crisis of belief? I, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. How many of you are in one right now? We're in one right now. For some of you, it's been going on for many years. For some of you, you're new to it. For some of you, you've been through them. You've come through them. You've seen God show up. You're here worshiping the day, and your worship is greater because of what you've seen in the past him do. And you're one of those that can sit here and say, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And you're sitting here, and you know that verse because you've lived that verse, and that verse is special to you because you've seen God in that moment. Are, are you, are you, have you ever faced it? If so, how did you handle it? How many of you failed at crisis of belief before? Been there. How did you handle it? Now that you've heard all this, how are you going to handle it in the future? And then this. What adjustments are you not willing to make in your life right now that will keep you from overcoming your crisis of belief? What's keeping you from taking that step of faith, that walk of obedience? What's keeping you? Would you stand to your feet? Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. and Lord, we know sometimes things are very difficult when it comes to us just living life. And Father, I just pray for each one in this room, Lord. I, I don't know where they are. I know what you desire for them. Father, you desire to, to do great things in their crisis of belief today. Father, for that one that's been living in a crisis for many years now because maybe they haven't taken the next step. They haven't been in the process of adjustments. Maybe those adjustments are nothing more than walking by faith, taking the next step of obedience, forgiving someone, 
living the life you called them to live. Father, we just pray right now for them, Lord, that you would just bring conviction where it needs to be brought. For that person who, who wants so badly to take that next step, to, to make the adjustments, to overcome their fear, to overcome their doubt, to, to, to live in repentance against their rebellious spirit. Father, I just pray for them right now that you'll just show them where the next path of victory lies and that they would walk obedient towards that, obediently. Father, I pray for the one here today. Maybe all this language we've been talking about is blowing them away. It's bigger than anything they could ever imagine. And maybe it's because they've never taken that first step of faith to follow you, to start that journey, to start that love relationship you have for them that you've extended your love towards them. Right now, you're calling them into a relationship with them. And they're sitting here this morning and they have no idea what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. They, they just know that they got to do something, Father. I just pray you'll bring them to a point in which they see you as you truly are, a loving, holy God in need of them coming to repentance over their sin and turning by faith to you today. Father, if that's someone here in this room, I pray that you work in their life. Father, have your way in this song, in this testimony of song in just a moment. Lord, as we're here at the front, Lord, that you would just draw those who need prayer, that you would draw those who need that great salvation that you provided through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You can really sing this song. I hope you'll join us. I'll be here at the front. I don't know what God is doing in your life. If you need someone to pray with or you want to take that next step of faith to join him in salvation, the salvation he has for you, I'll be here at the front. Just do what he's calling you to do in these moments. Would you join us?
Things going well. Uh, many people have come to know Christ, uh, which is a great report this morning. We're so happy for the team, and we're so happy for what God's doing in and through that team. But be praying for them as they continue a little bit into this week. Just pray that God will continue to show himself in the lives of those who are lost there in that dark place uh, that they're ministering in right now. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. You're dismissed. Thank you.